Hi. Welcome to Nabi Noho. My name is Jess Garcia, and I'm the worship pastor here. Today's message in the question series is, how do we become a community of solidarity? Becoming the kind of community that Jesus modeled points us to the margins. Join us in Acts 2, 42-47, as Mark Fields leads a conversation on owning our stories, relocating ourselves, and becoming reconcilers. And the question for today is, what do you love about this community? Take a moment, press pause, and when you're ready, press play and enjoy the message given to us by our friend, Mark Fields. Well, I hope that that conversation went better than the conversation, one of the conversations that I had with my wife this week. Uh, we had an intense conflict resolution situation and um, it, was, it was lovely. And it was brief because she needed to create some space so that she could process through um, what was happening. And for me, I'm like, I, I want to deal with it right now. I want to handle it. But there's things in me, in my story that like, for me, usually I'm like, ooh, I feel powerless right now. So I have to overassert myself or, ooh, I feel inadequate right now. So I have to prove my worth or prove that I'm doing it the right way. In this moment, there was some space in our conversation and I was I realized, oh, this this doesn't feel like either of those things. <laughs> I'll try, Jess. I'll try. This doesn't feel like either of those things. This feels like um, like I'm like I'm not needed right now. Like she's working through her own thing, and I'm not needed. And for me, the story that I come from, I come from a home with a with a dynamic where my father and my mother's relationship shifted when I was five, and that meant not seeing my dad a lot and broken promises and I'll be here for this thing and not being there and I'll be here this day and not being there. And so it kind of, I wouldn't say it triggered, but it definitely was playing around with some of those wounded places in me um, that felt unneeded. And I know that we all are interpreting life through our own set of story. And many of us, I, I think some of those base notes is like our own, our dignity, our power, our belovedness. Am I lovable? Do, can I do something? Am I worthy? And what is mine to do on this planet? And, and do people see me? Am I known? Uh, and the ways that we, I think, our stories and, and our personalities and the ways that our personalities have been formed by some of those hallmark circumstances in our lives or those moments, I think of like, sometimes the trauma t t can turn us into a person who becomes a perfectionist. And it's like, I will never give someone another reason to think this or that about me. Uh, sometimes we become people pleasers and I'll make myself invaluable to everybody. And so I'm just going to constantly try and people please. I'm going to, you'll never say that I don't create value. I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to create so much value. I'm going to be the most unique. I will never not know enough. So I'm going to know everything about stuff and I'll be able to navigate without experiencing that deprivation of love again. I think about uh, and this is even hard for me to say because I haven't experienced it myself, but I, the how sexuality would put me on the outs with my family and people who are supposed to love me. And then I become deprived of relationship and intimacy and love because of who I'm attracted to. I have something to learn from my, my queer sisters and brothers about that. And there's just so many ways that we're adapting to our story. And today we kind of like live into the story of the people of God. I know some people who are familiar with uh, a complicated story. And I love that when we look to the scriptures, it's not like the watered down, beautiful, kind of like, I don't know, whitewashed version of the story. 
but that it is filled with like the complexities of people who had sim who were experienced wounds, who had their fathers put them on the altar, who had these weird traumatic experiences, and it's all written down there. But what's also beautiful is the ways that they have owned their story, the way that they hold the complexities of their story, they've made it their own. And, and for me, like in therapy, I think a lot of times I compartmentalized a lot of my life and I'm just learning to like hold tenderly some of those places in me that I thought weren't acceptable, even to me. And I think the, the Hebrews, it's all kind of there. And in this moment, they've experienced what it means to be slaves. They've experienced what it means to be exiled, to be discriminated against. And I, I don't like the word minority. There's nothing minor about being this people. There's nothing small about being them. There's nothing. So when I think about that word minority and whoever it's placed on, there's nothing minor about being whoever you are, however you are. But the people of God have known this story, but they've owned it and then they've reinterpreted it. So in the middle of their exile, in the contemporary origin stories, they would say, the gods are like this. The gods are so thirsty for power. So they're so um, egocentric and needy that they would tear up other gods and make people to worship them. But the story that we've got from the Hebrews is that our God would speak light and earth and gravity and sun into existence and then walk among humanity and create humanity intimately with God's hands and breathe the divine breath into humanity which is freaking beautiful. So they're reclaiming and retelling this story. This is our story and this is our God. And they pass that down to their children and children and children. And they, get in, they, they just own this story. And then one day there's this guy that comes from Galilee, more specific from Nazareth. So the, the Jews are ostracized and belittled by the Roman empire. That's to be Jewish in the Roman Empire is to be a minority, is to be minuscule, is to be nothing. Then to be from Galilee within the Jews, you're far from Jerusalem, you have no power. Again, you're ostracized again. To be from Nazareth, yo, what good could come from Nazareth? You're like from the hood of the hood. And so Jesus is this borderland frontero, like this, this person who's existing in these different worlds. He knows Aramaic and probably Greek and probably speaks with an accent, darker skin tone, navigating this world. He's not, he didn't have the education. He wasn't like bestowed rabbiship from somebody else, but he starts saying stuff with authority and living out a new reality. Yo, you, you heard it said that we shouldn't do this. You, you heard it said, don't return an eye for an eye in the cheek. I'm telling you, when you allow anger to other somebody else, you're not going to experience the beauty of heaven now. Oh, you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, other human beings aren't the objects for you. This is about love and intimacy. And he's inviting. Jesus invites people. He crosses boundaries. He goes to talk to who he's not supposed to talk to, makes it his business. And everybody doesn't like it sits down with the tax collectors. What are you doing? These people are taking advantage of our people. Sits down with the sex workers. Sits down with the Samaritans, identifying himself with them. He's relocating himself into these spaces and taking that on himself. And he refuses to back down from this idea that all of humanity is beloved. 
There's nobody who's worth less and everyone is loved. So much so, it's creating so much problem for the religious power that they want him killed. So he, he, he goes to the cross and endures that, the suffocation. I just imagine that dark night of the soul for him and just suffocating and can't breathe, has to push up on his legs to breathe and the forgiveness there and, and his heart. Um, I can hear just the gargling and gasping, uh, but never backs down from his claims, never backs down from who he's identified with. Never. And to me, that's that stake in the ground declaration of God's commitment to humanity. I will not back down from you on your behalf. To me, any, anytime I say love, I'm thinking of commitment and God's commitment from the beginning of the story, right? That's what they were reinterpreting. God has always been committed to us, always been committed to us. And then Jesus comes and lives that out. And some people weren't expecting that and weren't expecting it to look that way. But then we see in like the New Testament where we kind of find our text from today in Acts, Peter starts reinterpreting the story and people are following. And Peter is saying, no, 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 this is the Messiah. This is the one who ushered in a whole new way of being. And he ushered it in for everybody. And the community starts actually living it out. And it becomes the most compelling, transformational, radical thing that's happening. And this is where we find the text today. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, the people, they come to faith and they start doing this stuff. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to being together, to fellowship, to breaking bread and the prayers and awe and wonder came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. And day by day, they're attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And God adds to who they are, their number, their community, day by day, the people who are coming to trusting faith. The beauty of what's happening here is the community that we talked about in my kind of like breakout group up front. It's real community. To me, this image like doesn't get old of people who are sacrificing on behalf of other people. It's people who have internalized this new way of being in a way that makes them radically loving towards others. You mean God would be committed to me to the point of death? You mean that God would never back down from me? So for me in that story with Karen, my wife, there's this, this moment. And I know it feels really corny, but it's just real for me. And I'm like, in this moment, I'm like, I'm feeling not needed. And it's hank, yanking on my heart, my wounded strings in my, in my being. And I'm like, no, no, no. I am needed. Now, now she needs me and loves me. And, I, and she cherishes me and values me. So I have to remind myself that. But also like in the story of 
who I believe God to be, God needs me and God is committed to me. So I'm not just a throwaway. And I would say for, for any of us who've been othered, in, which is all of us, for the moments when we feel othered, we feel not accepted, uh, undignified, when people can't honor the dignity of our image of God, like Darren talked about earlier, to remember that God loves you and is committed to you. And it feels really corny, but it is really true and radical. And, and that awareness, the ability of this community to be like, oh, no, no, we're beloved. Oh, wait, wait, they're beloved. And so it becomes the, the embodiment of what is written in Ephesians uh, or Galatians about there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free or even the anatomy or the social construct of gender that doesn't even exist with these people. They only love, like Darren talked about earlier, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, gay, straight. It, it, this radical love just bonds us together and it bonded them. And then they lived out the idea together of solidarity, of like what happens to Jess happens to me. If that doesn't work for Jess, then I can't let it work for me. And I feel convicted about that because I think I exist in some systems where I'm like, I'm here to try and change the system to be a different voice within this thing. And it's just getting more complicated for me. That's just like a confessional point where I'm like, but it doesn't work for Heather. That wouldn't work for Terry. So how can I let it work for me, even as a black male? So that's the idea of solidarity. But the invitation of this community and the invitation of that gospel for me is like, these people have lived out, what does it mean to hold their own story? Like to integrate the pieces of their story that aren't beautiful, that don't feel beautiful, but they're just a part of the story. And for me, that's some of the work that I'm, you know, I think we all do that work, but in therapy, you know, for me, it's, it's we're in a specific season. And I'm like, okay, how do I integrate that, that little boy who, who feels unseen, that part of me? But that, that becomes part of it. And the second part, right? Those people had owned their stories, but they just, they hadn't owned the ridiculous, radical, unconditional, we don't have to follow those rules anymore or do this, that, or the other anymore. We are just beloved. And then when they, be, when they really understand that, then they start to bestow that love on other people and become a radically kind of transformational force in their community, which is why Christians would be the first people to advocate for like, marginalized people groups when we're doing it right because we know we, we we do a poor job of it i would say in the american kind of world of i don't even know what we would call it capitalistic christianity i don't know what we call this thing but but that's not what we're doing here in this zoom um so so we own our story we own the gospel of like our belovedness but then we see like some things happening where jesus relocated himself and said Okay, if this is how you're going to treat Samar Samaritans, if this is how you're going to treat women, if this is how you're going to treat people with different abilities, if this is how you're going to treat outsiders, then treat then then identify me with them. So much so that when when one of his last words would be, if you didn't do it for them, you didn't do it for me. And if you did do it to them, then you also did it to me. Or that's discrimination, or that's care and love. But we have an invitation to relocate ourselves, which is why Jeremiah would say, buy homes there, marry your children away there. You need to be so invested that whatever happens to those people is happening to you. That, that, 
And that's what Jesus was living out, relocation. And we think about redistribution of our, of our wealth. And when I think about wealth, because I don't have much of it, I love that I have to whisper into both my earbuds, because I don't have much money. <laughs> I'm thinking about the time and the margin in your schedule or like your gifts, like Terry, how can you redistribute your time, your giftedness for the sake of those who need it around you? And that's what Jesus is doing, shaking up systems. And then we become this people group that's like, oh, no, no, this person doesn't have a place to stay. You stay with me. This person doesn't have enough. I'm going to go sell my TV. I'm turn off Wi-Fi. You stay with me. She's going to stay with them. And they start working out. So like none suffers lack, the scripture would say. What would it look like for you and for us to be people who redistribute our wealth in this way against our values? Because when we're relocated, then we, it's, it becomes a little bit easier. And again, that's, that's kind of upside down from what we inherit and what we see everywhere. And then the last thing is, is becoming reconciled reconcilers, which is like a, I don't know, that's a corny phrase. It's alliterated. I thought it was in my brain. I, don't, I never said that one in, in kind of like the preps, but to become people who are working for reconciliation, yeah. Except my children. I have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And I would say reconcilers and my four-year-old would be like, reconcilers? The elder are still yacht wise now. But anyway, but people who are working for reconciliation, to me, this is important because it means maturity. Um, it means that I don't have to wait for you to be the person that's going to love me. This is where, like, for me, in my circumstance I talked about, my wife loves me. So whether I interpret the data that way or not, or it feels that way in that moment, when I operate from this place of belovedness, then I'm not leaning on her. I'm not leaning on my children to behave in a way that like honors my dignity and like that. I become the person who gives that. And I'm not saying we need to be in spaces that always challenge us to be that when we're like the outsiders. We need places like this where we can, we can just rest and be and lament together about the ways things don't reflect the kingdom of God. They don't reflect heaven on earth. But, we, but it also makes us people who say, when we do come to the Thanksgiving table and we know that people have ostracized us from the family, we can still be the people who love first. Like Jesus did when he sat down with the Pharisees and, yo, what you guys doing? Oh, where do you guys still think that? Oh, man, you guys are supposed to be the first. Anyway, but he would still operate in love. And that's, that's like the dignity. To me, that's the power. That's the agency that we have. And a lot of times we give it up because of, the ways that we have been like adapting to our story, we're wounded. And then we surrender that power to those people in our families or those people at work or that one kid in, in eighth grade that called us this out or the other. And we're still hanging on and rehearsing those words. But we gain that power back by being those loved people. So, I mean, after all that, which is way longer than the last rehearsal one, I would say when we learn to own our story, and integrate our story, cherish our story, be gracious to ourselves, when we really learn to rehearse the gospel truth that God's love for you is unconditional. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to say a right thing. You don't have to do a right thing. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you think about yourself or what somebody else thinks about you, God's love and commitment to you is unspeakable. And when we can own that, then we can become people who relocate and redistribute our wealth and become reconcilers, that kind of agency, and become this community that can be centered on faith, hope, and love, and love others well.
<sighs> so with that said, our next question is, what can you do to better represent Jesus? I have a different question here, but I think the way that we just talked about that, that feels a little bit better. Second one's supposed to be harder. Maybe it's not. And I would say, clarifying part about the second question, if you feel back to like that next step, if you feel like, oh, maybe I'm not holding a part of my story well. So maybe don't make it about other things or other people, but it's like, there's parts of my story that I really haven't integrated yet. And if you feel comfortable enough to say that for the first time or for another time or whatever, to be honest, just be honest about where you are. So I know I don't have to tell that to a new, new Abbey community, but I just did. So maybe I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Instagram at New Abbey NoHo. And if you're interested in giving to New Abbey NoHo, feel free to head over to www.newabbey.org generosity. Be sure to scroll down to the North Hollywood Fund. Thank you and have a blessed week.